following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Why, it's encouraging to see you all tonight. Welcome this evening. Welcome to those of you that are online as well. I don't know how many of of you there are, but uh, I was encouraged by some of our young people to put a comment on there to say, if you want to write us a comment back and say, hello, we're here, that would be uh, encouragement to us, if you wish, if you can see the comments. Uh, Some of you might not be able to see those on your screen, however yours is laid out or if it's on a television, but we're glad that you're participating with us nonetheless. And uh, we do have the church conference call going for those that uh, might be wondering. Um, We have one request for that to be on this evening, so hopefully... Uh, at least one will be joining us on that channel in just a few moments uh, as well from remote. All right, we're back in Isaiah. No surprise there, is it? Chapter 51 this time. Isaiah 51. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will, be, he will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord." Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke, the earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men. Nor be afraid of their insults, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die, and of the son of man who will be made like grass. And you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. 
You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit, and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God, who divided the sea whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, You are my people. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling, and it drained out. There is no one to guide her among all the sons she has brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction, famine and sword. By whom will I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it. But I will put into the hand of those who afflict you, I'm sorry, but I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. And you have laid your body like the ground and as the street for those who walk over. That will be the case that uh, Israel will be the head and not the tail in the future days of the kingdom of Messiah. That's not the case today, but we're glad that it will be in the future. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word. We're going to invite Jansen to come now and share the word of God. I hope that you will be blessed and uh, learn something from our brother's exposition in Ruth this evening. Amen. Thank you, Jansen. Good evening. Would you turn with me in your copy of God's word to Ruth chapter 3? Ruth chapter 3 is where we'll be picking up our study, as Pastor has alluded to this evening as we continue our exposition of that book in the Old Testament. And uh, I hope you have enjoyed uh, this look, maybe fresh look at Ruth. Maybe it's been a little while since you've uh, read this book. And I I have thoroughly enjoyed the study time in the office. And uh, it's hard to uh, share all of that with you. I feel like I'm kind of shortcutting you guys sometimes with what I've learned and have been blessed by. But... I still try to do my best to at least communicate some of that, and I leave the rest up to you to work out yourself and your own study as well. So, As we continue our study in Ruth chapter 3, let me first uh, refresh you uh, on some of what we've looked at already. In the prior chapter, we saw uh, where Ruth, or excuse me, where Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, provides some very helpful advice to, uh, to Ruth. But before that even, we see Ruth's initiative to help provide for the needs, the physical needs of herself and her mother-in-law beginning in chapter 2. 
It says there in verse 2 of chapter 2, So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, that is her mother-in-law, Please let me go out to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. Now you may be, if you haven't been with, with us for this full study, if you're watching online or here in person, we've obviously looked at the first chapter as well, where we find that Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, passes away while they are in Moab, as well as their two sons one of which was Ruth's husband, who is now deceased. And after this, uh, Naomi uh, returns to Bethlehem, and Ruth and uh, the other daughter-in-law continue with her for a time. That is Orpah. But at one point, Ruth turns to them on their, on their travels back to Bethlehem and encourages her daughters-in-law to return back to their people, to the nation of Moab, so that they may find rest in the house of another husband, the security and protection from another husband. And uh, she explains to them in chapter 1 that it's uh, senseless for her, them to continue on with her to Bethlehem because in one sense there's nothing there for them, and it would be much better, she believes, if they would return to Moab. Naomi understands she's past the child-rearing days where she could even bear a son, and even if she were to be able to bear a son, she asked them, would you wait until he grows old enough for you to marry him? Of course, the answer is probably not. That would be uh, quite a, a while for them to wait around. And uh, there's not even a, a certainty that she could even bear children. So Orpah, we see, returns, but Ruth is convinced, is, uh, has determined in her mind that she's going to continue on with Naomi. And this idea of Ruth's loyalty to Naomi then continues on I believe, through the rest of the book of Ruth. We see in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, she makes an oath before the Lord that she will continue on with Naomi, not just to Bethlehem, but also when she's there, she's going to lodge with her to make uh, Naomi's people her people and her God, that is Naomi's God, Ruth's God, and and so forth. And and so we see a, a very important Um, turn of events here where Ruth is going to continue on with Naomi. Once there, we pick up where we were just a moment ago in chapter 2, where Ruth goes out to find grain to obviously feed and provide for the physical needs of of themselves. And she happens, it says, upon the field of Boaz. And we considered that last time, or the time before that, I should say, on this idea that she happened upon it. Was it mere circumstantial, or was there a providential aspect to this? And uh, we ascertain that there is a providential aspect that is being weaved into this. In fact, it's more irony, the fact that he used happened upon, where he's causing us to have to stop and say, wait a minute, can it really be that it just happened to be this way? No, it can't be. And so he uses kind of this literary device to help us stop and consider that fact. Now, we move along. We see, if we were to read through chapter 2, we see that Boaz and Ruth have a first initial interaction with one another. And Boaz shows great favor upon Ruth, an unmeasurable amount of favor and something that is undeserving for her. But yet he does show it and demonstrates great kindness and concern for her safety as well as for her physical needs and the needs of her mother-in-law, Naomi, as well. Now, at the end of chapter 2, we see that 
Naomi provides a first kind of round of advice or counsel to Ruth to continue to glean in the field of Boaz, to not go anywhere else but to stay there. We could surmise that Naomi is recognizing that this is a very beneficial thing for them, not just you know because of the physical needs that they have to be fed, but also the security and protection that Boaz is desiring to give to Ruth. And it demonstrates Naomi's great care for her daughter-in-law. She doesn't want to see her uh, harmed in any way or be taken advantage by someone else if she were to go into another field. So she, with great concern, advises Ruth to continue to glean in that field of Boaz. And Ruth heeds her mother-in-law's advice. Now, it says in verse 23 of chapter 2, and Ruth, so she stayed close by the young women of Boaz, that is Ruth, to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, in chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, Then, we can assume that there's some time that has elapsed between verse 23 and verse 1, and I'll, we'll see why in just a moment. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, between verse 23 and verse 1, there's probably at least two or three months of time that has elapsed between uh, the events of when Naomi Naomi and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem, and Naomi has given this uh, advice to Ruth concerning gleaning in the field of Boaz, and what we see happening now here in verse 1. We know from the text that Ruth continued to glean in Boaz's field for quite a while until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. We saw that just there in verse 23. And those harvests would have probably elapsed over two or three months period of time. And so uh, what we'll see now in chapter 3 is that when she encourages or advises Ruth to go to the threshing floor... We can assume then that multiple harvests have taken place and uh, that the reason that there is threshing is because uh, of the harvest of both the barley and wheat. Now, Ruth's actions here at the end of chapter 2 and what we'll see in chapter 3 are a testimony of the strong loyalty that Ruth had for towards Naomi the strong loyalty to Naomi that she promised to have in chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 which we just looked at where she made an oath before the Lord Ruth was not merely looking for a roof over her head that's not the reason she returned to Bethlehem even though customarily it was the duty of the mother-in-law to see to the welfare of the widowed daughter-in-law if a circumstance like that would arise as was the case here. But even though that was customary, Ruth took it upon herself to help provide for the needs of her mother-in-law and herself. Not only was she loyal to Naomi in providing food for the table, but she also followed the advice of her mother-in-law. As advised, she did not leave Boaz's field, but continued until the end of the harvests. This uh, we didn't touch on as much last time. But this is a truly a valuable lesson, especially for the younger ones. And uh, you have parents 
who are concerned for your well-being and therefore offer you wise advice. And it is best to listen to that advice. In fact, Scripture, as we know, commands children to obey their parents. However, I would encourage you, younger ones, with this too. Even into your adult years, when once you are out of the home, don't be quick to dismiss the counsel and advice that your parents still have to offer you. Or perhaps even in-laws at that point as well, those adopted parents, so to speak. They may be able to offer a valuable perspective on a situation that you are too close to to see. Maybe us adults have uh, experienced that before, where sometimes you're too much in the situation to really have a, a good perspective of what's going on, and so you need someone else who's outside the situation to give some helpful, wise counsel. And that's, I think, what's going on here with Ruth and Naomi, and is also a valuable lesson for us today. Whatever the circumstance, the Lord is pleased when we listen to wise counsel. Now, we continue on here in verse 1, where Naomi states kind of a rhetorical question here. She says, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you? that it may be well with you. We see here again Naomi's concern for the well-being of Ruth, wanting to provide her good counsel but also security. Your version may replace the word security and have something like the idea or the word rest for you. Now that word rest relates to Naomi's conversation with her daughter-in-law in chapter 1, verse 9. Let me read that to you now. You can, you're welcome to turn there if you'd like. Let me begin in verse 8 of chapter 1. It says, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest. Where? Each in the house of her husband. So this idea of rest relates to this earlier conversation, and it carries the idea of security or provision or protection, the companionship that every woman desires and expects to find in the home of a good husband. And so we see here that Naomi was deeply concerned that her daughter-in-law have that kind of rest. This wasn't kind of a self-serving thing that she was looking to do for her own good. No, rather she was concerned for Uh, Ruth to be able to experience that kind of rest that only can come from marrying a good husband. And this idea of her concern is implied in this rhetorical question that she states in verse 3. Shall I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Naomi believes that she has some kind of responsibility to help provide this rest and security for Ruth. She's not leaving her to herself to find this security, but she believes she has some responsibility to help Ruth in that way. Remember Naomi's desire in in chapter 1, which we just read, was that God would grant Ruth a husband. That was Naomi's desire for Ruth and and for Orpah as well, as we saw in chapter 1. 
was that God would grant Ruth a husband to provide security and protection. And then what's interesting, though, as we look through chapter 3, we'll see the subsequent advice she is about to give implies that Naomi believed that she could help play an integral part in answering that prayer of hers. She desires that God would grant rest, that is, security and protection in the home of a good husband. And now, here in chapter 3, with the advice that we're about to read, we can see that, in a way, Naomi is believing that she can provide the answer to that request, that God would grant uh, that request that God would grant rest for Ruth. And so she believes she can play an integral part in answering her own prayer for God to grant R- Ruth a husband who would provide rest for her. Now, it's possible Naomi, uh, up until now in chapter 3, had an unspoken wish that Boaz would take an initiative in establishing a more personal relationship with Ruth. What kind of relationship may we ask? Well, perhaps a relationship that would end in marriage. It would be more than just the fact that Naomi, or excuse me, Ruth and Boaz are a close relative. Her wish may be that it goes beyond that, that Boaz would show an initiative and, and pursue Ruth in marriage. And perhaps as Naomi watched on Ruth, watched on as Ruth continued to glean in the field of Boaz, a man who was upright in character, we know, and a close relative of theirs, and one who favored Ruth, Naomi saw a wonderful marital opportunity for Ruth. Remember what we just said a moment ago where people outside the situation can sometimes provide good counsel. And so it may be the case that that is what is going on here, As Naomi watches on, as Ruth goes day in and day out and gleans in the field of Boaz, knowing what kind of character Boaz has and the favor that he has shown on Ruth, she looks at it and says, yeah, this is a good opportunity for Ruth to lead to marriage. And perhaps Ruth had similar hopes as well, but the absence of any brazen act that is mentioned here in Scripture on her part demonstrates the kind of character and conduct that she has. It's an honorable and submissive spirit towards Boaz. It may even be that Boaz himself was interested in Ruth in a more personal, intimate way, but was being sensitive toward Ruth as he knew she was a widow, perhaps still grieving the loss of her husband, and not wishing to impose himself upon her until she was ready, emotionally healed, and what else, and ready to contemplate remarriage. Boaz also may have been apprehensive to make any kind of formal move because he was also aware of the closer relative in the city as well that could function as Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. We see that in chapter 3, verse 12. Let me read a little ahead in our our, uh, scripture here this evening. Boaz says this in verse 12 of chapter 3. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, and here we see, understand that Boaz knows about this other relative. There is a closer, uh, closer, excuse me, there is a relative closer than I. Perhaps uh, Boaz was interested and he's done a little research in the area and he knows the, about the situation. 
and, uh, and therefore a little apprehensive, knowing that uh, according to uh, the role of the kinsman redeemer and even Leverite marriage, which we said these two ideas are, or, or these two customs are intertwined, especially here in Ruth, he knew of this closer relative and did not want to uh, step in front of him, so to speak, when he had the right to take her and to redeem her. Now, whatever the case may be, uh, there also, I think, is another valuable lesson here for us today. And uh, I'm speaking again to you younger folks. And uh, having been there myself not too long ago, sometimes there are guys and gals today who are eligible for marriage, but could use some well-meaning prompting from others who are watching from a distance Relationships often include unneeded awkwardness, and maybe you have had that experience yourself. Sometimes there's an extended period of dating or an engagement period that doesn't need to be as long as it is. But because of the awkwardness, or maybe even before that, you're interested in someone, but you you don't want to make the first move, or you're not sure what they think. And looking back... My advice to that would be, just say something. (laughs) Don't wait. If you know it's a godly gal or guy or whatever the case may be, uh, then then pursue that and trust the Lord and seek good counsel from those around you. So, again, as I said, sometimes there's all this unneeded awkwardness from the beginning or this extended time of of dating and just kind of waiting. What are we going to do? When are we going to get married? Maybe you're engaged and, and you're still kind of just, uh, you know, dragging your feet on the situation. And obviously there are situations that are uncontrollable. Like, for instance, a pandemic hits and you just can't get married. Or, as was as the case of my sister and her fiancé, who is a Canadian, they couldn't even see each other. So sometimes there are these uncontrollable events. But that aside, those exceptions aside... Sometimes a guy needs to just gather up the gumption and do something about it, express an interest, and then act on it, meaning move the relationship along. Don't wait if there's nothing to hinder that relationship. If you know that this person is a godly Christian young lady, if you're a guy, then, uh, then pursue that. If you're of eligible age and you know, in life where you have, you're able to provide for this young gal, then, then pursue it. Now, if you're a girl, this presents somewhat of an issue, you may say, because you're not necessarily out there proposing to guys for marriage. <laughs> not that that's not ever happened. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's not normally the kind of uh, progression that we see. You don't usually walk up to a man and ask him to marry you if you're a girl. However, there are things you can do to demonstrate your quote-unquote availability in a God-honoring manner. And it is not just exactly maybe what you wear, trying to gain some kind of attraction to a, for, from a guy. It's more than what you wear or things of that sense. But the way that you conduct yourself that demonstrates that you would make someone a good, godly spouse. That is how a girl can God-honorly with a God-honoring spirit, pursue a guy. Conduct yourself in a God-honoring way 
who will obviously know if you're married or not. And you will, you will do well by doing that. That, is, that kind of character is attractive to men who will make good husbands. Meaning, those kind of men will look beyond things of just, you know, what do they wear, what do they look like, but how do they act? How do they conduct themselves? Finally, to those who are looking in on those kind of situations, that is, everyone else who is already married, or whatever that situation may be, and you're looking, you know, on others who are of younger age, of marital availability or eligibility, like Naomi was, in this sense, looking on at the situation, you can, without being overly involved in, in a person's search for a spouse, you don't want to be overbearing, but you can be involved. Give them helpful advice concerning potential spouses. You're able to give some insight on situations, perhaps what you know about their life, their character, without uh, perhaps being too involved in the situation, like the guy or girl who's googly-eyed and there's butterflies in the heart, and they can't think straight because of their infatuation with this other person. So be that kind of person. Be that kind of Naomi as, it's, as the opportunity arises to help younger ones in this area of need. Now, said enough about that for now. We'll continue on here in verse 2 of chapter 3. Naomi continues here with her conversation with Ruth and says, Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, that is in the field gleaning, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, again, Naomi states the known fact that Boaz is a relative of theirs. She had already done that at least once before in chapter 2, verse 1, where she says there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, the family of Limelech. His name is Boaz. Actually, that's the narrator presenting that fact to us. But also then... uh, In verse 20, Naomi says this to Ruth of chapter 2. This is a man, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. So Naomi is not presenting any new fact to Ruth here in chapter 3. Rather, the emphasis this time is on the nearness of his relationship, Boaz's relationship to Ruth and to Naomi. Boaz is a close relative who could fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer, should he choose to do so, including marrying Ruth. And this, we can perceive from what's going to happen in the coming verses in chapter 3, is Naomi's wish that Boaz would act upon his, his ability to fulfill this role. But, as we consider this, we notice that Boaz has not made any such move in that direction. So what does Naomi do? She has hatched a plan to help get the ball rolling for Boaz. The scheme, I don't really like to call it a scheme, but the plan, the counsel that she is offering 
is to help Boaz initiate the, the interaction between Ruth and Boaz to help him carry out the duty of kinsman redeemer by marrying Ruth. Now, somehow, we see in verse 2, Naomi is aware that Boaz will be winnowing grain at the threshing floor that very evening. Boaz may have chosen to do his winnowing at night because the calmer breeze was more desirable than perhaps the gusty winds during the day. Perhaps you've experienced that yourself, a windy day, and in the evening you walk out, and things have calmed down somewhat. And if you know anything about the, uh, the practice or the task of, of winnowing grain, it involves wind, being able to, to uh, separate the chaff from the grain. So Naomi is aware that Boaz will be out there that evening threshing the grain at the threshing floor. Now, it would be also cooler in the evening as well and not as miserable of a task. So perhaps that's also why Boaz chose to do this in the evening evening hours. And based on her knowledge of the whereabouts of Boaz that evening, Naomi is now is presenting her plan to Ruth to, again, help get the ball rolling. Without telling Ruth specifically that she has her marriage to Boaz in mind, Naomi gives her detailed instructions on how to take advantage of this situation. And so this is Naomi's proposal in verse 3 and 4. She encourages or instructs her daughter-in-law to wash herself and anoint herself, to put on her best garment. Now, the idea, or should I say this first, Naomi's instruction entails, let's just get this in the forefront so we understand as we, as we continue on. Naomi's instruction entails no kind of seductive or intimate connotation, unlike the view of many commentators that you may read. Primarily, if that were the case, if there were kind of some intimate connotation, this would be contrary to the narrator's portrayal of the character of Naomi and Ruth up until this point, and also through the rest of the book. Furthermore, Naomi does not instruct Ruth to make any forceful or brazen act on Boaz but to wait for him to respond to the kind of underlying message that she is sending him through her actions. So there is no kind of, uh, in that sense, uh, intimate connotation, undertone here, despite what you may read. And we're going to continue to prove that and understand this better, I hope, as we look at this passage. So what then is this idea of washing and anointing herself and putting on her best garment? Because that is often... The, the argument that these commentators will use. They'll say, see, look at Ruth. She's doing everything she can to be attractive to Boaz. You know, putting, you know, getting a bath so you smell good and putting on, you know, her perfumes so she smells good and all this. And her best garment, you know, she wants to impress him. She wants uh, him to take an attractive notice of her. So, if that is not the case exactly or specifically, then how do we understand this, this uh, instruction that Naomi is giving to Ruth? Well, the idea behind washing and anointing herself and putting on her garment is not necessarily to be overly attractive in appearance or you know, her fragrance. Rather, it's just the common practice of women in that day to freshen themselves up. 
You know, they, have, they don't have the modern idea of, you know, deodorant that you can whip out and put on. So you anoint yourself with, with fragrances so that you can kind of uh, hide any kind of smell. You, of course, wash yourself. You bathe yourself to help in that way as well. Yeah, common hygiene, practice to, to uh, be presentable before any person. And also, a note on the garment as well, you may find, as my translation has in the New King James, where the translators have chosen to use this adjective, best garment. It actually is not uh, uh, in the manuscripts, or at least some of them. Some just simply say, your garment. And that garment, although some translations do say the best garment, was actually the, just the typical outer garment worn by both men and women. Now, there probably was a distinction in appearance, how they looked, those garments, perhaps the color of fabric or what else. But the only kind of function it really had was meant to keep a person warm and to and an extra kind of layer of, of clothing, especially a useful thing for those who slept outside at night, perhaps those who were homeless, poor, destitute, or someone like Boaz who was going to sleep out there at night in the chilly evening air and so himself probably had a garment. We know, in fact, he he had something of that sense, as we'll read in a moment. And so Ruth would use this garment that Naomi is instructing her to put on to keep herself warm as she goes out into the evening air. So what was the purpose of this preparation then if it was not for an intimate encounter with a male? Well, I believe it is best to understand it in relationship to David's actions after hearing about the death of his son. Turn with me for a moment to 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Look with me uh, Look with me at verse 19. There's more context to this, but the idea is that uh, his son, uh, the Lord strikes his son, uh, and uh, the son passes away, the son of David, one of his sons, that is. In verse 19, it says, When David saw that his servants were whispering, this is in verse 19 of chapter 12, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Look at verse 20 then. So David arose from the ground, and this is what he did. He washed himself and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. You see the similarity between the progression of actions here? He washed himself, he anointed himself, and he changed his garment, his clothes. It appears that Naomi is hereby advising Ruth in kind of the same way that David David took these actions. Here in 2 Samuel, she she is advising Ruth to end her period of mourning over her widowhood. In the case of David, the mourning over the death of his son. 
Remember what David goes on to say? He's dead. What do I have to do about that? I get up and I move on with life as normal as possible. Why should I continue to mourn? He's not going to come back. And so similarly, it appears that Naomi is advising Ruth to do a similar thing. Your husband has died. He's gone. Not that there's no sympathy there. But she is encouraging her daughter-in-law to move on from this back to life as normal as possible. And to begin that new season of life by finding another husband. Where she can find rest and security again. In other words, Naomi is now telling Ruth, the time has come to lay aside her garments of widowhood and let Boaz know discreetly, in a kind of indirect manner, that she is ready to return to life as normal, including marriage. So that is how I understand, and I believe uh, the advice of Naomi is to be understood here in verse 3. Now we continue on here. In verse 3, it says then, after she gives these initial instructions of preparation, that she then should uh, go down to the threshing floor. We see this in the middle of verse 3. She also says, But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. The last pieces of instruction that Naomi gives Ruth is related to her personal interaction with Boaz himself. She is to go down first to the threshing floor where he would be, where she would find him, wait there at a distance where she cannot be seen until he has finished eating and drinking, and then observe where he lays down to sleep. Finally, the last piece of instruction is to uncover his feet, or as it's perhaps better under, understood, the lower limbs, so the legs, and wait to see what he, he does. Now, there is much bewilderment over the underlying meaning of this last action Ruth is to engage in. What does it mean to uncover his feet? Now, based on what was said earlier just a moment ago, that is, that Naomi's plan does not include any kind of seductive connotations. It doesn't make sense that this should be interpreted as being such a thing. If Ruth were acting like a prostitute, perhaps, would act, or in any brazen, inappropriate manner, it seems unusual that Boaz would say what he says then in verse 10. Look with me there. After she does all this, again, getting a little ahead of ourselves in the text, it says, after he wakes up, uh, he says, who are, excuse me, look at verse 9. It says, and he said, who are you? It's dark outside, and perhaps he can't quite make out who it is. So she answered, that is Ruth, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Look what he then says in verse 10. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. Knowing that Boaz is an upright man, if he perceived in any way that what Ruth was doing was to attract him or to allure him like perhaps a prostitute would do, in any kind of seductive manner, Boaz would not offer that kind of blessing upon that action. Would he? No. 
course not. So it's pretty clear in my mind, and I hope it is in your mind, that all of these actions that are unfolding in no way uh, paint the character of Ruth in an immoral fashion or way, or that she's trying to allure Boaz to engage in any kind of immoral action. Finally, the last reason we can know for sure that Ruth is acting in an upright manner is that she is instructed by Naomi to wait for further instructions from Boaz after she has done this. So it seems unlikely that Naomi is suggesting that Ruth initiate any kind of intimate engagement with Boaz at this point, or at any point. So what then was the underlying meaning behind this act of uncovering his feet? Because it still leaves us bewildered. If we know what it's not implying, what is it then implying? Well, let me, let me turn your attention back for a moment to uh, chapter 2. In Boaz's initial or first conversation with Ruth in the field, In verse 11, it says, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before you. So Boaz is reiterating or explaining to Ruth that he is aware of all that she has done, of the loyalty that she has demonstrated towards her mother-in-law, And he says this in verse 12, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Under your wings, under whose wings, excuse me, you have come for refuge. Boaz is is putting forth his desire for God to bless Ruth. He is relaying to Ruth his wish and his hope that God will repay her for her loyalty to her mother-in-law and that she experienced God's fullest blessing, the blessing of God, the God of Israel, under which the people of God are under his wings the wings of refuge that God provides or cares for them with. Now, I believe that this actually quite uh, uh, intrinsically or or closely relates to what's happening here in chapter 3 now in her interaction with Boaz. Let me turn your attention to verse 5 of chapter 3. Says there, and she said to her, that is Ruth to Naomi, all that you have said to me, I will do. So again, we see the the uh, the wisdom of Ruth in listening to the wise counsel of Naomi and obedient, submissive spirit there that she has. Verse six. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and, and drunk, his heart was cheerful. He went to lie down at the end. He at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. 
So what does this mean? What does this action that she has taken at the end of uncovering his feet mean? Well, as I just said, it, it seems that it, at, this act correlates with uh, her response to Boaz in verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says there, and he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Do you see the similarity of language between what Ruth has just said and what Boaz has wished or desired upon Ruth back in chapter 2? What did he say in chapter 2? His desire, his hope that she will find a great reward from the God of Israel, the God who his, by his wings protects his people, who provides refuge for them. And now Ruth is turning to Boaz, and in a sense she's saying, I wish that you would fulfill that blessing, that you would be the one to fulfill that reward that you wish upon me by covering me with your wings of protection and security, just like God, their father, of the people of Israel, was a refuge for them. So, Ruth's act was meant to convey an indirect manner, a very kind of submissive way, her wish for Boaz to provide protection security and comfort for Ruth through marriage. There's also a kind of another uh, uh, metaphorical kind of uh, idea going on here too that may be implied in the act of uncovering his feet. Kind of a very basic idea here that as Boaz laid there and slept, using his garment to keep him warm, as we already said, if someone to, were to come along and pull that garment off your feet, what's going to happen? You're going to get cold, right? Yeah. You, you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, you're, man, it's a little chilly. You know, sometimes you've, you've uh, kicked the covers off of yourself, maybe in the middle of the night, and you wake up, and you're, man, I am, I am chilly. I'm cold. I don't have that security, that comfort anymore. I, I want that back. And so, in a way, it may be that Ruth, by doing this act, is helping Boaz to understand the somewhat insecurity, the, the discomfort that she has because she has no one to provide that for her. And so she is looking for Boaz to fulfill that role to provide the comfort and protection and security she desires from a husband. Now, look with me for a moment as we kind of finish off this section as we close here this morning, not to leave this passage undone. In verse 10, Boaz says, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. In that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous 
woman. Again, this only further confirms the idea that all that Ruth has just done prior to what Boaz has just said has all been done in a very honorable and virtuous manner. And Boaz recognizes this. He recognizes that she is not acting in any kind of brazenly manner or inappropriate manner. Rather, in a very submissive and virtuous way, she is helping Boaz to realize that she is ready, if he is willing, to be his wife and for him to fulfill that role of kinsman redeemer. Now, the rest of this chapter will handle uh, how Boaz goes about uh, fulfilling that role, but we'll leave that for another time. We've run out of time this evening. But as we close, I I want to uh, emphasize this very fact that we have the whole time. Ruth, uh, sometimes we look at this portion of text, and it seems like Ruth is proposing to Boaz, Again, kind of that whole idea that she's being very forthright. (laughs) But I hope that you've seen through this evening that Ruth is not necessarily proposing to Boaz, whether that was culturally wrong or right at the time. Don't exactly know all that. Maybe it was fine. Either way, what Ruth was doing was subtly proposing the idea of proposal, so to speak. She was not asking for necessarily his hand in marriage, but that he would consider his capability of fulfilling that role for her. I hope as you consider this passage this evening and as we close our time here, uh, whether you're young or old, you would consider how you your character aligns to that, if you're a woman of to Ruth, a virtuous and honorable woman, or the upright character of Boaz. There, um, as we'll see in the the next portion of the text, there was a lot of responsibility in this case that went along with redeeming Ruth, acting as that kinsman redeemer. But Boaz, upright in character, and with the kindness of, that he had towards Ruth was more than willing, we'll see, to fulfill that role. But how, how are you acting? Are you, do you have the character, the virtuous character of Ruth? Do you have the upright character of Boaz? Are you exemplifying that kind of God-honoring character in your life? Whatever the situation may be, whether you're pursuing someone or whether it be your own interactions with your spouse or like Naomi, in the way that you advise those younger than you and help them in life's decisions in a way that's God-pleasing. Let's pray this evening as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to search your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would uh, continue to work in our hearts as we go our way this evening, as we consider the truth therein in your word from this specific text. We thank you for the testimony of of Ruth and Boaz, the kind of character that they exemplified and uh, set as a, a good, wholesome, 
an upright example for us today in all areas of life, and even in these more uh, specific areas as well in relationship to, to marriage and to, um, and to fulfilling roles that we have towards one another. We pray all this, Lord, in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. And thank you for your participation this evening. For those who are here in person and for those who are online, may the Lord bless you as you go this evening. And uh, we hope that you can come again and enjoy some fellowship with the brotherhood here. Have a good evening.